Headlines on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, 17 minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's the headline segment here on Metro FM Talk. And uh, this evening uh, for our headlines, we uh, take a look at uh, the latest coming out of ESCOM. And many of you would have seen uh, in some of the uh, Sunday reports. Uh, the massive challenges faced by fabricators, smelters and uh, many other in a heavy and a very energy intensive secondary industry in South Africa who um, I think some of them, you know, 55% or so of their cost structures consisting of how much they spend uh, on electricity, uh, not only affected by load shedding, but also affected by uh, the looming prospect of uh, massive tariff increases uh, that might make uh, many of their businesses, according to them, uncompetitive. We're going to touch on that tonight and also uh, touch, I guess, not only on the supply issues, but also the pricing of electricity uh, and try and wrap our heads around uh, the latest developments on those two fronts. Joined on the line uh, to help us talk through uh, some of these issues by Brian Kamanzi. He's an energy expert and uh, he's with the Institute for Economic Justice. Brian, good evening and welcome. Brian? Good evening. Thanks for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you clearly now. Thank thank you so much for coming through. Brian, let's maybe start off, uh, I guess, just with the... um, you know, uh, issues around load shedding. And we'll come back to the pricing of electricity, both for residential, industrial, and even, I guess, mining users. Uh, But let's maybe start off now, I guess, uh, with uh, the supply challenges. I mean, we had Sikonati Manjanja here on Monday last week. Um, And I think a report had come out, 1,150 hours of load shedding record in 2021. Now, this started in 2008. 14 years later, Sikonati tells us that you know, we're more likely this year to have more load shedding than we did last year. At a layperson's perspective, what seems to be wrong with all of these plants that are generating all of the power we use? Great, thanks. Yeah, so I think it's important for us to, uh, on the first hand, accept at the beginning of 2022 that the reality is that the energy system is intensely constrained. And in the short term, we we shouldn't expect um, significant improvements in the quality of the service. Almost two years ago, uh, you know, ironically to the, to, the, to the inputs made in that interview last week, uh, the current CEO had said that he only needed 18 months with a philosophy of maintenance to bring an end to load shedding. Now, two years later, and as you've rightly stated, it's been over a thousand years, thousand hours of uh, load shedding uh, from last year, largely due to um, the poor performance of the coal fleet, and, and that has been stated from the ESCOM leadership deriving from legacy of poor maintenance. The aging fleet. So we have an issue where ESCOM is stated that they have low levels of liquidity, which has prevented them from releasing the necessary funds to procure the supplies that they need to, to do the necessary maintenance to keep the plants that they do have in, in firm operating condition. Um, I think two weeks ago, the CEO had said that they needed almost two years um, to properly plan and execute a full maintenance program over mm-hmm. the country. So it, it's clear that in, in the short term, um, until new plants are, are built in, in, in the next at least a year to 18 months, uh, we can expect that if there are any unexpected uh, issues with the existing plants, both public and private, we will have load shedding. It's really as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, ESCOM, ESCOM have signaled that the expected availability over the next year uh, it's down from the usual uh, performance target of about 70%. So that, that should give us the chance. Really, it's, 
We, uh, we only Ryan, want to have sh- load Ryan, shedding when everything's Ryan, going hold well. hold the line there for me. We seem to be battling with your sure. line. Uh, we, we seem okay. to lose you there. So let's try and uh, just uh, reconnect with uh, Brian Kamanzi on a much, much better line. And uh, yeah, straining and battling to hear uh, some of uh, the very important issues that he's raising insofar as uh, the generating fleet of ESCOM is concerned. And uh, we'll try and uh, reestablish our connection with him on a much better line. The headlines, the headlines on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, 13 minutes it is before 8 p.m. And uh, Brian, I hope I have you on a much better line, man. Brian? Hopefully. Can you hear me? Yes. Perfect. 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 Okay, great. So, Brian, you were still talking, I guess, about how constrained uh, our generating capacity is. And absent of any commissioning of new generation capacity, we said to be in the dark for a lot longer than we were in 2021. Yes. I think simply put, you know, uh, new public and private plants are in the pipeline. Mm. However, at least in the next year to 18 months, none of those will come online. Mm. So ESCOM has stated that the expected performance of the existing fleet for the next year is about 62% out of 100% availability. That's down from their usual target of 72%. So that's in simple terms, that means that if there are unexpected faults, we can expect load shedding. Mm. Uh, we're, We're basically running on, you know, we're sitting on the fence here. Anything that tips us over will mean load shedding. You know, uh, there's always this measure that people use, um, you know, people in the know in the technical space of reserve margins. And this is like, I assume, you know, the extra or, or surplus capacity you have um, to factor in for contingencies or any other problems there might be, you know, say one of the six units at Duba shuts down or something like that. Um, now, you know, Many people were saying in the 90s that would hover around, you know, the 20% or so, the 30% or so. And now we're probably, and we're supposed to be at 15%, probably a lot lower than that. And, and I guess there's a big question mark, which is, you know, there's a combination of issues here in this plant. There's old plant, there's new plants that got design issues. There's plants that were brought back from being mothballed uh, and returned to service in the 1990s. I mean, is the maintenance solution to this problem... Uh, I guess, uniform for all of the different parts of our generating problem? Because it does seem part of the problem is that, you know, we don't have enough diesel to keep or we sort of working our um, generators, which are a backup supply, to the hilt. And then, of course, you've got like old power stations, some built in the 60s and the 70s. And then, of course, uh, some of the ones that are still incomplete, but um, are stuttering along as new as they are. Yes, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, part of the issue, you know, if Cosida was operating in full capacity, we wouldn't have load shedding right now, mm. let, let alone the, the issues with the old, the, the old plants, right? Sure. Um, given the poor maintenance, and the poor maintenance has been an issue for some time, it's clear that they should have, um, the, the, we should have sped up the pipeline for new projects for capacity and generation, right? Um, I think that we're not getting clear, a clear sense of what's really happening with the maintenance. 
the last couple of CEOs have, who have come in have pointed to poor maintenance. Mm. And each CEO says that they're doing maintenance, but they're not opening their books. So I think at the IJ, we've called for the opening of the books. We want to see the maintenance rec. The public should see uh, a report, perhaps, mm. saying what is the state of the coal fleet so that we can see what maintenance has been done and what hasn't. What's the issue? If, there, if it is genuinely an issue that finances need to be released for parts, then we should release the funds. Because as I said, in at least within the next year to 18 months, new projects, even those which are, which are already in the processes of, of being permitted and have been commissioned, will not be realized. So maintenance is our is is really our main hope for for the short term. On your point about diesel, you know it's not ideal. Diesel is very expensive. Sure. It relates to your questions about pricing. Already for just for the next year, Eskom is planning to use seven times more diesel than it ideally operates. Mm. Seven times more diesel. So that that is one of the contributing factors to the increase of of electricity. So it's not we don't want to be using more diesel. We mm. need to focus on for the short term. We need a stringent maintenance campaign. We need to release the necessary funds and, and, and bring in, uh, if, if the current leadership are unable to do so, uh, perhaps that, that, that is a pathway we may need to explore. Brian, we must talk about the organizational culture at ESCOM. I mean, hearing Jan Oberholzer this afternoon explaining uh, one of, at one of the units, I'm not sure you know, if it was at Duba or one of the other you know, uh, power, power plants, and he says the conveyor belt that carries the coal is being operated manually because there's something wrong. But the other issue is that the coal that's coming in via the rail lines from Transnet, he's saying Transnet didn't give him enough locos to make sure that the plant doesn't run out of coal. So it does seem there's a seeming on top of the aged infrastructure, on top of the design and misfiring of the new power stations. There's a seeming sort of comedy of errors and some people are even suggesting sabotage. Um, I mean, a lot of this speaks, I guess, I, I hate to say it, but speaks to also deep organizational culture issues within the utility that aren't necessarily solved, I guess, by putting more money and making sure parts are found on time. And uh, it does seem there's, there's, you know, what's happening at Megawatt Park might not necessarily be reflecting what might be happening at many of the stations. Absolutely, that's right. And I think that um, part of your point around culture is we also need to do some uh, soul-searching in civil society and in this mm. country of what type of utility do we want to have. Sure. You know, if, it is, if it is that we want to have a transparent public utility that's capable of competing pub, uh, complex tasks, then we need a leadership who is interested in that. But currently, the, 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 the presidency here under, under the rater sees market reforms and private generation and the privatized sector as being the pathway to a modern, reliable utility. So if that's the route that you want to go, then, uh, then I guess improving some aspects of the culture are really just intermediary measures while you essentially transform and privatize the, the sector. So I think there are also some competing incentives here, mm. and there are some strategy questions for those who believe in a public sector that is strong, reliable, transparent, and can complete complex tasks. We have to change the way we think and talk about ESCOM, talk about ESCOM workers, find ways to incentivize good behavior, and root out elements that, that, that are essentially benefiting of the collapse of this utility. Mm-hmm. And, and what are those elements? I mean, I, I find it interesting that I guess you, you raise a political economy issue, which is there might be some vested interests in the future, you know, sustained model of ESCOM. I mean, I would think the people who supply diesel and who might supply coal to ESCOM would have a vested interest in its 
continuation in its current form. But then there would be others, of course, who are saying, you know, um, I'm maybe in the solar space. I'm not happy with uh, 10% or in the wind, 15% uh, of the um, total sort of energy requirement coming from my technology by 2030. I'd like more. Um, is that is that who you're referring to when when, when you say well, it, those? It, 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 yeah. it's, of course it's possible. I'm not sitting on any special evidence which 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 privies me to the, the sure. goings on of the energy sector. Um, however, what is clear is that if if ESCOM was operating the way that it should, leave the, even the questions of the energy transition was absolutely uh-huh. necessary and important. We would not require the, an accelerated uh, ind- uh, independent power producing program, which, by the way, doesn't only include renewables; it also includes gas. Gas, coal, yes, yeah. diesel, and mm. um, gas in particular is wreaking havoc in, in energy markets across the EU, China, and and the US. And we are about to enter into the space of gas um, ourselves, which you know we we should expect with with the with the global gas gas price peaking, we should expect to be hit by that if if, if the products projects that are on the table, particularly the car partnerships, come through. Mm. So that it, it's it's simply to say that we should be concerned that there are elements that are lining up behind and essentially hedging their bets against the collapse of ESCOM, and then the culture in which we uh, that seems to be emerging within ESCOM is not one. Um, that is that is giving us trust that they're capable mm. of turning the ship around, that they're interested even in a, in a utility that is about public goods and not about turning it into a, 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 a business model that looks at the electricity sector as a, sp- as a space to solicit profit. Um, you know that these things should be that should be deeply concerning to us in a moment of crisis. Mm. Let's talk about a bit more about that culture because a big part of it is also how prices are regulated in that sector. A critical sort of administered price that uh, the folk in the MPC would look at from time to time. Um, and NERSA is, I guess, the regulator which um, grants you know, some of these tariff applications, many of which, you know, if you listen to, I guess, the theory and follow them, are about recovering costs. And I'm not sure if some of the costs we're talking about here are those that have been duly incurred or not. Um, but what do you make, I guess, of, you know, how the p- trend of tariff increases over time um, has, I guess, moved in tandem with um, a declining quality of service, but also a declining capability to generate uh, the electricity and even in some cases to even transmit it? Yeah, so we're we in the midst of what's called a, a typically called death spiral. Mm. The prices are increasing and then the consumer base is, is shrinking and ESCOM is struggling to recover its costs. But uh, when we're looking at this year, you know, consumers may expect up to 40%. And where did that 40% come from? Mm. At least half of that comes from a court case that ESCOM had won over NERSA, over um, uh, faulty price determinations between 2014 and 2017. That's set in stone. The next set, it relates to um, an updated methodology from ESCOM's mid-year, multi-year price determination. It's the fifth iteration of that. Mm. And essentially, that's tied to the process of unbundling, right? It's, it's that shift that you're speaking to of, a, of, of a, a pricing structure that more accurately reflects the cost of delivery of the service. At the moment, we have it, our current tariff structure has subsidies between users and, in, and, and in, internally into users. So let's say, for example, residential users. Part of the idea is that more wealthy persons pay more for electricity to subsidize working-class households. That's part of the philosophy. And you have a similar thing of different classes of users in this, between industry and residential and so on and so forth. That's the philosophy. More cost-reflective tariffs, the shift that we are making now is essentially that as ESCOM gets separated in transmission, distribution, 
and generation that you will now be charged for the cost of, of what it what it costs ESCOM to deliver power to you. So that's the you get added a transmission cost, a distribution cost, a generation cost, and then something called ancillary services, which is about keeping the grid stable. Mm. So you, it's now the philosophy is changing. So what this means is that subsidies will reduce, and there'll be winners and losers. One of the losers that's already been identified is, is rural users at this stage. So it costs more to deliver electricity to rural areas. They will have a reduction in their subsidies. It will cost more for them. So that's very unfortunate. Um, it, it, what, it, what, that sh- what this shift does, though, is it, it creates an enabling environment for public, private entities to play. Um, they can have backup gener- They can have uh, greater access and uh, an enabling infrastructure, both physical and regulatory, to have backup generators that could be diesel, it could be wind, it could be solar. Um, the regulations are not mm. technology dependent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the implication of you know um, this price path on secondary industry. I mean, I started in my introduction just talking through you know some of the complaints of large in, you know energy intensive users. Um, and I guess, you know, while I might not have significant amount of sympathy, I do understand where they're coming from. I mean, the entire history of this economy is built on cheap labor, cheap energy, and which primarily benefited the mining sector, but also uh, a lot of very heavy industry, steel, aluminum smelters, all of that stuff. Um, and it seems that this price path is really undoing some of their business models there. What does that mean, I guess, for the reorientation one of the type of manufacturing that we do, but also, I guess, uh, for the type of economy uh, that then, you know, I guess on the other side of this emerges. Yes, so I think what we have as a whole is a failure of an industrial strategy coming out of the, of the, of the ANC government. And I think that's, that's the key part to focus on. In terms of the, dy- the, the dynamics within, within uh, the mining and energy sector, mm. large energy users have historically, you know, their, their interests are more aligned. It's easier for them to coalesce their interests than, say, the working class. Sure. Large energy users, I mean, there's one group, uh, energy intensive users group, they, they cumulatively account for about 40% of, of electrical demand in South Africa. Mm. They often them. band they together wanna, and make statements talk. and negotiate prices. So they're able to get. Um, they're often able to get prices mm. agreed to over long durations, which buffer them from year-on-year increases, for example. Um, but, the, of course, the structural failure of ESCOM, its poor reliability and so on, is impacting them, many of them having to get backup power sources um, to supplement when there's load shedding and so on. Mm. And, the, and obviously, price increases over the years have, have cumulatively impacted their business model. That's true. However... Um, at this stage, the, the post-apartheid economy has yet to properly articulate a coherent industrial strategy, which identifies with the, which which is aligned with a new social compact we're trying to form, mm, mm. with a with a, a type of economy which benefits everyone, or at least moves in that direction. So, if in the past the 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 the, the trade was cheap energy, cheap labor for a racialized industrial economy, yes. what is the trade today? Mm. And I think this, this, this crisis, it presents an opportunity. If the, if the major manufacturing, the local elite, essentially, the national bourgeoisie of South Africa, they are saying, in order to ride up this crisis, they require public subsidy, essentially. Then it's, it's up to the working class, it's up to union leadership, particularly in the mining belt, to structure how the negotiations in this moment of crisis take mm. place and to ensure that the balance of power is... U- that we, we shift the where the balance of power is located mm. 
to rebuild an energy system that is about public goods and not short-term profiteering, and that that aligns with an industrial strategy, so it aligns with a strategy about beneficiation that has, that meets the same ends. Mm. Because at this stage, even though commodity prices are booming in the, in the, in the major industrial nations, it's cheaper now for companies to sell their raw materials at a high price in international markets mm. Than to beneficiate in South Africa because of high electricity costs. Sure. But why should we be, why should we subsidize them now if they're not? Then neither are they providing jobs nor are they providing decent mm-hmm. employment. So I think now is a good time to negotiate. Talk, talk to me about that bargain just before I let you go. I mean, mm-hmm. what you think organized formations of working people uh, would have to concede in that bargain? I mean, you're saying on the part of the other guys they would have to make some concessions. I guess. Um, one on ESCOM itself, energy, future energy needs, um, and maybe a different type of you know, wage structure. But, I mean, what concessions would workers have to make on the end? I think public investment. You know, at, at this stage, I think we need, to, we, we need to be funneling public investment into productive industries and stop seeking foreign direct investment, which is steering us in all kinds of directions, which is restructuring our economy to be one that is geared towards more rent-seeking. Mm-hmm. We need to essentially bet on ourselves. And align industrial on our industrial strategy in such a way that we reap, we we can reap the benefits mm-hmm. of the of the investments that were l- low cost of capital that we're giving to these productive industries. If it means that we're giving them subsidies on electricity as well, so be it. Provided that um, they're able to come good on employment, uh, provided that they're um, willing to come good on you know an investing more of the, the capital that they reach in back into the country and not sending it offshore and so on. So, so, so I mean, let me rephrase the question because I think mm. it's, it's an important one as we speak mm-hmm. about social compacting. Uh, a lot of people are anticipating that the president will, will talk to this on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I want to talk about, I mean, this bargain, as you say, because I guess in a way you're saying the state and the society, if we give them subsidies on energy or whatever, there's certain reciprocal commitments they will make on employing people and all of that. Um, but some of the demands they've placed on the table, big business in particular, and some of these users, uh, might be things that are anathema. I mean, you know, wage moderation, uh, you know, all manner of other things, you know, um, doing away with, uh, what do they call it, extension to, of, to non-parties of bargaining agreements, all of those things. Um, I mean, are those things that broadly would be, would be palatable? to many of those who speak on behalf of organized working class and even, you know, a, a broader political groups in the society? I don't, I don't think that at the current state of play, if I'm being honest, I don't think the current state of play would be friendly to that. Mm. However, I am anticipating, you know, electricity is one of those key sectors which impacts everybody. Sure, sure. Is that with, if electricity goes up in April or June by 40%, you have we run the risk of breaking another kind of social compact we have with society. Mm. The fact that people are making practical decisions about whether they eat or not, or whether they have, yeah. you know, all kinds of things. Um, so, so what I'm saying is that if, if we want a South Africa that is viable, um, this is a gambit that we have to play. We have to bet on ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to force local capital into it. It's, I suppose I'm admitting sectors. to you yeah. that we're not in a position of power, mm. but in order to rescue the situation from crisis and saying, and, and instead of in five years' time saying what we could have maybe done, mm. let's anticipate this crisis. Let's lo- recognize what happened in July in KZN and mm. say, 
never again. Let's rebuild our country that in, in a way that is more redistributive. Let's use the public purse. Let's turn away from this austerity mindset mm. and, 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 and refocus the little that we have towards productive industry. Brian, as always a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, I must add, I think that pacting process... Um, I think the longer we delay it, uh, the more we'll find ourselves, one, diverging in terms of uh, collective interests. And I guess it's it's just going to create a, yeah, the type of uh, Tinder. um, And I don't mean Tinder in terms of, you know, the other platform, but uh, the type of societal, you know, fires that we saw around uh, the July moment. But Brian Kamanzi, as always, brother, pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, man. Cheers. Brian Kamanzi is an energy expert uh, who is with the Institute for Economic Justice. Would love to hear some of your own thoughts on ESCOM. And uh, yeah, I mean, quite interesting. You know, uh, I'd encourage many South Africans to just undertake. You know, ESCOM is one of these entities that um, so freely shares of uh, information on its history, on its present. Uh, I mean, their website, I must add, is a treasure trove. Um, And if you look at some of those annual reports... um, you know, uh, and I'm doing that for something entirely different. But if you look at those annual reports uh, over a long period of time, you begin to see that, um, you know, in many ways, this is an unfolding story, but that is an outcome, not only of decisions that were made today, but uh, decisions that were made many, many moons ago. And I think we're at a cusp of a moment now where whatever we decide on or whatever we do will probably lock in future generations for a very, very, very long time. Thank you.